0: If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and Mother to Ali, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm very excited to have Mindy Mcalinden on the show today. Mindy is a seasoned brand and marketing strategist focused in the area of nonprofit organizations, packaged goods, TV and film, and music startups. Mindy, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. I'm so excited. And I love technology because you're setting in Arkansas and I'm setting in Missouri and we're making this happen. So thank you for agreeing to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. It's going to be fun. So you and I were just recently connected by our mutual friend, Jim Bechtold. Yes. And there's so many things to talk about. But as I was preparing yesterday... For our conversation today, I was just struck and Scott, the EP for the show said, you're kind of like a Renaissance woman <laughs> because you do so much. I mean, your education, you've got degrees in engineering, economics, and mathematics from Vanderbilt. But then you went on to get your MBA from Indiana University in marketing and international business. I did. So
1: well-rounded. So talk to us just a little bit about how you grew up. So I grew up, my parents are very well accomplished. Um, My dad worked for Procter & Gamble straight out of college. And of course, we moved every three or four years growing up. He worked his way up to be a vice president at Procter & Gamble. So, you know, very hard charging. My mom, equally hard charging, stayed home with us. She was an English teacher, and then when I was in junior high, I went back to work and was herself a principal in a healthcare company just a few years after going back to work. So I definitely have high standards within my family and high expectations for achievement. So do you have siblings? I do. I have a brother who lives in Nashville. He is also a consultant. And then I have a sister who's since passed away. Oh, I'm sorry about
0: that. That's not to be tough. You've had a few life interruptions. So you had models that you could watch in your parents, you know, because like you said, very high achieving. I'm sure that education was really important to them and they passed that on to you guys. And so, you know, that that makes a lot of sense. Why, why you went and got, let's say, one, two, three, uh, five or six different degrees here. But, you know, your career.
1: So I know that you started as a sales rep at Merck. I did. People won't believe this now because I'm a little bit outgoing. But when I was in college, I was a little more shy. And I looked at my job opportunities and decided I actually need to go into sales. I need to learn to be able to talk to people. And so it wasn't my comfort zone. It wasn't really what I wanted, but it was a fantastic opportunity I was fortunate enough to get the job and uh, Merck is phenomenal in training in terms of teaching you to really go out and sell. And it was a great opportunity. Not one that I wanted long-term, that is not my calling, but gosh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So did they have a really robust training program? They actually invest three months in you in training and it's full-time. So I did two months of studying the parts of the body. So I had to learn the systems of the body and I had to learn how each of the drugs worked. And then we literally spent one month in sales training. And what we would do is we would get up at eight in the morning, fully dressed in our suit. We would go to the basement of the hotel and we would make fake calls to fake doctors in the basement of the hotel all day. And then at five o'clock we would quit and we'd review with us what we did right or wrong. And then we would go back and do it again the next day. So for a full month, I made fake calls to doctors. So by the time I hit the streets, I was, you know, old hat at doing it. It was amazing amount of money that they put into training their Most people are looking at to say,
0: okay, what is my passion? What am I good at? That's where I'm going to pursue. And what you did was you said, okay, you know, I have some marketing, I have international business, I have these things, but what don't I have? And that's how you chose. And I just think that's phenomenal. But from there, you went on and went into Sarah
1: Lee. I did. As a brand manager, (laughs) Sarah Lee, I was in one of their meat divisions. Um, At that point in time, they had seven meat companies and it actually was fun. It was a small enough company that you did everything as a brand manager. So I actually did tours of the plant. We were a fully integrated plant. We brought in our turkeys at two days and they went out the other end about 12 weeks later in packaging. And so I, because of my engineering background, actually was responsible for all of the plant tours that would come up. And so I knew the equipment, I knew what it did. Part of Sarah Lee was you had to test the product every day. So we had what was called the cutting every morning. And at 7 a.m., you would get in line and everything that was manufactured in the last 24 hours was displayed and you had to taste it. Look at the packaging, taste the flavors, make sure it met standards before it shipped out on the truck that night. It was great because I interacted with these guys in manufacturing so often they would actually bring me problems before it ever hit the cutting room. And so when my products at the cutting room, I knew they already met my standards. They already had packaging that was appropriate because my guys on the floor had a good relationship. And so we would talk about problems before they actually happen. And so there's, you know, that's, I think you talk about relationships a few minutes ago. And I think that is critical, actually, is maintaining relationships with people that may or may not seem like they have importance in your life. But at some point, you can help them or they can help you. And it's important to just always keep those relationships open and going. So Sarah Lee was a great learning experience in terms of just making sure that you kind of had 360 degree vision of what was going on in your world.
0: Yeah, great insight, great points. And I could not agree with you more. It's all about people. I've got a good friend, Orv Kimbrough, that's the CEO of a bank here in St. Louis. And he says, you know, your next opportunity is on the other side of that relationship. Yes. You know, yes. you never know how you're going to be able to help them or vice versa. So great insight there. Now, I know then you went on to be a financial analyst at Ford. Then you were the director of marketing at a music group. Now, how did
1: that? <laughs> how did that all come about? That's cool. Right. So I have the weirdest career path ever. The reason I went into finance is similarly why I went into sales. I actually hated finance, even though I'm an engineer and I have a math degree. I hate finance because it's not the same as engineering. And so my lowest degree in graduate school, I got a B plus. Don't tell my parents. I got a B plus in finance. And so when this opportunity came to go into finance, I thought, okay, it's time to face it and conquer it because if I want to run a company, I got to understand it and not be afraid of it. So I went into finance for a couple of years and it was great. I actually met my husband at the company. We shared a desk, so I figured it was a good opportunity, but again, not my cup of tea. I love numbers. I hate finance. And there was just an opportunity. I lived in Nashville. An opportunity came across my desk for a director of marketing at a record label. And I thought, well, of all things, I live in Nashville. What is more Nashville than being in the music industry? So I thought I would interview. I went and I interviewed and the guy I interviewed with, great guy, he had been a director at Procter & Gamble. And so we had a lot of similar friends and I was like, this was meant to be. So I ended up getting the job and really just learned some amazing marketing skills. The the pace of the marketing industry in music is unbelievably fast. I put out 60 albums in a year. So 60 marketing plans, 60 budgets in a year. It was crazy. The way decisions were made, just completely different than uh, traditional brand marketing. And it was really Really a fun industry to be involved in. That sounds like a fun job. So it tell was. us, are there artists that we would know so, that you were representing, that you were marketing for? So probably not. I worked for a, uh, a Christian label, probably the biggest album that we put out. And we actually won marketing plan of the year for it was the Wow Albums, which are the compilation of, you know, the top 30 Christian songs of the year. Uh, those were really our biggest ones. I
0: remember those. Do you? Yeah. Excellent.
1: Oh my goodness, so much to talk about there. Well, then you moved on and then that's when you went to P&G. So, you know, it's one of those things, never say never because God laughs. I swore I'd never work for Procter & Gamble because my dad had worked there and I never wanted to be in my dad's shadow, right? So lo and behold, I decided my husband and I had gotten married. He wanted to leave Nashville to get a different job. And so I was looking for jobs too. And this job at Procter & Gamble came up and it was the perfect confluence of everything I've done. It was for marketing, it had budget responsibility, it involved some sales, and it involved healthcare marketing. And so I was like, well, I have all that. And so I interviewed, it was a perfect fit, such amazing people that I worked with there, and just really, really great. And then my husband actually got a job at P&G about two months later. And so we were working together again at Procter & Gamble, which was very fun. And I worked there until I had my first kid at which point I decided to go ahead and stay home and take care of them for a while.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue. So you do have four children. I do. 19, 18, 15, and 10, and you've homeschooled them. Uh But in the middle of homeschooling, you had a life interruption. I want to talk about that, Mindy. And then also you've continued to do some consulting work and some branding work and stuff, you know, in addition to the homeschooling. So what was that decision like? We homeschooled our kids
1: from. first to sixth grade. So for us, it was a pretty easy decision. My um, daughters were in first grade and kindergarten, and they were in a private school, but they weren't being challenged. Regardless of, you know, my encouragement to the school, which I'm sure they appreciated, you know, like, hey, can we give them different work? Or can we up level their work? And, you know, their response was no, we can't. And I thought, well, why am I paying thousands of dollars for this school that you can't meet my kids needs. And so we decided at that point to go ahead and homeschool them for a year and just see how it worked. And it was great. I mean, first grade and kindergarten are very easy to homeschool. Right. And so I didn't know what I was getting into. And then we just kept it up. I realized my kids were thriving. I actually loved spending time with my kids My first three kids I had under four years, so they're very close together, and um, I would call them my entourage because whenever you just went to the dry cleaners, you walked with this huge group of people, but it was great. They did everything with me. I was still involved in doing some consulting work, also involved with some political and just community things, and I would drag them with me wherever I went. So they learned at a very early age, the importance of civic involvement. They learned the importance of relationship, right? The beauty of homeschooling, I think one of the things that my kids have learned is that you accept people for who they are. People homeschool for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because their child has special needs. Sometimes they're just socially awkward. And with homeschooling, it doesn't matter. You just kind of accept them. And so I would see my teenagers playing with an eight-year-old. And you never would see teenagers playing with an eight-year-old anywhere else. But in a homeschooling environment, you just kind of go, we're here, we're people, we're just gonna make the best of whatever's going on today. And so I really loved that for my kids. And so I actually have ended up homeschooling my kids all the way through. I've got two girls in college now. And yes, they did well on their standardized tests. And yes, they have social skills. So all of that's positive. And then I still have my boys at home.
0: Oh, I would love just to dig in more to that. So we may have to just do another podcast episode about homeschooling. You know, (laughs) we do need to take a quick break and then we will be right back with Mindy. We at Technology Partners understand the difficulty to find work that is engaging, yields high pay, and facilitates a work-life balance. Over the past 25 years, we have enhanced the IT teams of over 244 client companies and placed more than 3,000 IT professionals with them on short-term or permanent basis. Our staff includes over 300 experienced IT professionals,
1: so if you're looking
0: to take the next step in your career, visit jobs.technologypartners.net, apply for a job, and one of our expert recruiters will be happy to connect with you. So, Mindy, I want to talk about this, and I know that this can be really difficult to talk about, so I appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable. So here you are. You've got these four beautiful children. You're homeschooling. You're doing all
1: of this. And what happened? I got sick. We thought that I was pregnant again, um, which would have been my fifth, right? My, My baby was not even a year old yet. So we went to the doctor and the doctor kind of did an ultrasound and looked at the ultrasound tests and said, I don't really know what this is. And I thought, well, okay, that's not good. Those aren't good words to hear. And so we went through some tests and they said, it looks like there's a mass forming in your uterus and we're going to have to remove it. And I said, well, that's fine. You know, we can deal with this. So we did, we removed it. And they said, we'll call you if there's any other problems. So about two days later, I get a call. It was about nine o'clock at night. Never good to get a call from a doctor at nine o'clock at night. She was very clear. She said, you have a tumor. You will go through some MRI tomorrow and you'll go through a CAT scan on Friday and you begin chemo on Monday. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm driving a car, right? It's nine o'clock at night. I'm driving a car. I can't even process these words. And of course, my first thoughts were like, Holy cow, what does this mean for my kids? My kids, they're under 10, all of them. Like, what would they do without their mom? And how would I prepare? And how much time do I have? You know, you always go to the worst when you hear that. But the doctor was clear. You know, it just depends on, it has this tumor spread? And that's what we need to determine. So of course, my husband and I immediately immersed in prayer that things were fine and that things were contained. So we went through our tests and began chemo, began seven months of chemo. You know, it was hard. But it was encouraging that it hadn't spread to my brain or to my lungs. And so the doctor felt very positive. I actually tried to talk to the doctor into just taking out my uterus. Let's just be done. And and the doctor was clear, like, that's not a solution. (laughs) Anyway, so the chemo was uh, by far the best option for us. And so we went through that. And I think the biggest thing that I found was recognizing that God was in control of the situation I had when I was pregnant with my fourth child. I don't know, you get, you know, you kind of get a wild hair, right? When you're pregnant sometimes. And I insisted to my husband that we switch doctors, that I needed to be at a very high rated neonatal facility. I don't know why I just felt that way. And so we switched at 20 weeks. I actually switched my, my doctor, which is unheard of, but I was able to get switched. And of course, nothing happened. There were no complications. Well, it turns out, you know, a year later I would have this tumor. And because I was at this highly rated facility They got me in really early and they did the testing, whereas my regular doctor didn't test you, you know, for pregnancy till 12 weeks. Those three weeks could have made all the difference in my life. And so I really felt like once I recognized that difference, I was like, God's got this. God knew a year ago that I was going to have this. And God has prepared that way. So it was just this confidence in this piece that even though it was miserable to go through, I had friends and family that took care of my kids for me. Uh, you know, we talked about my mom would come every other week when I had chemo and pick up my kids and take care of them for several days so that I could be at home and be sick and without worrying about taking care of others. And it was just such a blessing. And really a blessing that came out of that was the relationship that my girls developed with especially the littlest of my kids to become his mom. So there was a lot that came out of it that was good. I mean, you never say it's good, but you know, it was good. And I actually talked to a nurse when I was done with chemo and she said, I'll tell you this now because you're healthy. I've never seen numbers as high as I saw yours. And I thought, wow, I'm so glad you didn't tell me that because that might have rocked my faith. <laughs> wow.
0: Well, thank you for being willing to share that story. And, and I hope it helps one of our listeners. I do too. So Mindy, I kind of want to jump back to some of the, you know, more of a business focus. Yeah. You recently, I think you said it was just a year or so ago that you were the keynote speaker for the National Automotive Dealers Association. And you talked
1: a lot about gender bias. Tell us what your thoughts are on gender bias. So I work with the Association of National Advertisers on an initiative called See Her. See Her is a fantastic initiative. Basically, the goal of it is to say to advertisers, when you do good, your business does well. And so in order to do good, one of the things that we need to do is to change the way that women are presented in advertising and in media to make them more accurately presented and in a more favorable light. So for example, if I'm selling the food item, I shouldn't have mom in the kitchen by herself suffering while the rest of the family is enjoying and anxiously waiting mom to bring them food, right? What mom actually wants is everyone in the kitchen with her enjoying the experience, right? And so as a business, you should be reflecting that in your advertising and in your media. And what we see when you do that is significant increases in ROI up to 30 and 40% by simply changing the way that you present women changing where you advertise and that's reflected in the dealers and one of the things that we talked about with the dealers association is saying hey dealers treat women as if they have brains in their heads right i have a background in finance so i understand the numbers right i can have this financial conversation with you and not get stressed out and you need to show me that respect And so it was very interesting. It was very neat to be, having worked for Ford, it was really fun to go back and to address that organization and say, let's be sure that we're looking at it because when you do good and you treat women well, they're half of the population, but 80% of the consumer choices are made or influenced by women. So it does you well to serve women well. And so it was really, really fun initiative to work on.
0: Fascinating, really. But it's so true. You know, it's just how that brand is presented can make such a difference. That's wonderful. Mindy, I mean, I know that marketing is really kind of your bailiwick and that's really where you consult and, and marketing strategy and marketing plans, business plans, things like that. What do you see with marketing trends and what should companies be thinking about if they're not already thinking about their marketing plan?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. We've watched the... Last year or two, a lot of brands become much more woke, right? Much more aware of social issues. And I don't think that will change, but I think there'll be a little bit of a dialing back in terms of that, um, just making sure that companies are kind of maybe riding the middle road a little bit more. I think the other thing that we see with so many people having so much time at home are really well informed buyers. They don't necessarily want a sales pitch anymore. I just need you to tell me the truth. So much misinformation out there that I don't want to sort through all of this. I just want the facts up front. I just want to be able to trust you right? I want brands I can trust. And so I think those are some of the things we'll see going forward is maybe a little bit more of that. And then I do think we're going to see a lot more levity, especially I'm hoping with the Super Bowl, we will definitely see more levity and a little less weight in the coming year, because I think we all need that. We certainly do. So I want to talk
0: about something kind of fun. I think it's really fun Okay. talking about this last year, you know, and that we need more levity. I mean, it's been hard on people, but there definitely been silver linings. And for you, you had something really cool coming out of boarding <laughs> when you were in quarantine. And I want you to tell our listeners about that, Mindy.
1: When I was at home, I had my four kids at home, as well as a foreign exchange student who had gotten stranded. So we just took her in. So I had four teenagers that I had to feed every day along with my husband and my uh, grammar student. So we decided about two weeks into quarantine that We were already sick of meals and sick of cooking and all of that. So I made a new edict in the household that we were going to create a new meal every night for dinner. No repeats, no do-overs. It was just, you could love it, you could hate it, but we were going to create a new meal for all of quarantine. Now, in my defense, I didn't know quarantine would be ongoing forever, or maybe I wouldn't have done it, but it became really fun. At first, it was easy. Right. We would scour the Internet. We would find different recipes, kind of throw them together and make something new. And and then after about three weeks, it became a little bit of a challenge, you know, because you couldn't always find the ingredients you needed. And so sometimes it'd be like, all right, we found fish. We're having a fish tonight for dinner. Let's find a recipe. And my kids got really involved. They got really vested in flavors they liked or didn't like or spices they liked. And our exchange student was from the Bahamas. So she definitely had her own twist on things that she wanted to taste. And it was good. But one of the negatives that came out of it was, you know, that my kids became food critics. Every night at dinner, they would go around the table and kind of tell me what they thought I should do next time or how they would do it differently. And I thought, what have I done? (laughs) So after about three months of that, we decided to, you know, what would be fun is to take the recipes that we like best, the 40 recipes we like best since quarantine, of course, is 40 days, right? So we would take those recipes and create a cookbook. And so that's what we did. We created a cookbook and uh, launched it in October. And so I'm just starting to kind of get out there and market that cookbook.
0: Right. I just bought my copy yesterday. I'm excited to get it. So really, you said for three months though, Mindy you never cooked the same meal. No, And even the kids would say, hey, can we have that again? And you're like, nope, we're (laughs) going to do something entirely different. I didn't know that part. So you probably cooked 90 meals in total and then you took the top 40. So everybody gave them stars. Yes,
1: (laughs) they were the ones they liked. Yes, we did have some major fails. Yeah. But that's all right. That happens. (laughs)
0: How fun. Yeah. And so I think it's funny, Mindy, because when you and I were talking, you said we played every board game we had. (laughs) We had read books. We had had done all these things. And we just were like, we got to do something new. So that's (laughs) life gives you lemons and you made lemonade. Exactly. But, you know, this is something extra. So I, I know that you had a team member that you observed something extra in this team member. And I
1: was it when you were at Procter & Gamble? I had a team member that he was a good worker. He was very successful, but his biggest attribute was that he was a cheerleader. He was just always in everyone's business in a good way, right? So he was the guy who would remember that your kid had a cheerleading competition the weekend before, and he would stop by and say, how'd your child do? Or, you know, did they do well? I was thinking of your child this weekend. And, you know, he just constantly made sure that people felt acknowledged, not just at work, you know, not for their successes and failures at work, but because of what they believed in or how they led their lives. It made the work environment wonderful. It made coming to work a positive experience. If you'd have a bad day, he's the guy who you went and talked to because you knew he'd find that lemonade, right, out of the lemons that you were going through. And it was just an amazing experience. I feel like if you have a team, you have to include a guy or a girl who's a cheerleader who's going to take the time, and whether that's you as the leader or sometimes it's better if it comes from someone else because it feels more sincere, right? When it's not coming from the leader who you know just wants to accomplish things. It was amazing to see someone who just always had this bright, sunny personality and just really made sure people were achieving their best every day. Wow, that's amazing.
0: Well, thank you so much. And I think that's great advice. And it's hard because you've got so much things going on in your own life, right? To remember mm-hmm. that Sally's son Johnny had a some sort of tournament. I mean, it's hard to do that. But listen, it, what it means to be human. Yeah. And, you know, you think about how important your children and your family are to you. Listen, everybody else is the same way. Right. So, you know, really being genuinely interested in the rest of somebody's life, not just what they're doing in the office. Absolutely. So great advice. Well, Mindy, this has just been so much fun, but I do want to give you an opportunity to pitch something. I think I know what you're going to pitch. <laughs> Tell our <laughs> listeners you know, about something that is exciting to you and
1: how they can get involved or if it's your cookbook, how they can get your cookbook. Thank you. So yes, my cookbook is available at forthelovecookbook.com. It's also available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. I encourage you to try it. It's got 40 of our best recipes as well well as appetizers, desserts, you know, and a few bread recipes because who didn't make bread during quarantine? And so I just encourage y'all to go out and try it and mix up your dinner. See if you can do 40 nights in a row of the 40 different recipes and see if you can find a new favorite for your family. That is awesome.
0: I cannot wait
1: to get my copy. So where did For the Love come from? So, okay, it's kind of my swear word, truth be told. So when I get upset with my kids and they're doing something that I don't like, I usually say, For the Love. And if I'm really angry, I'll say, For the Love of all that is good under heaven. (laughs) And so it really is. It is for the love of cooking and the love of my family, but sometimes it was for the love in kind of the bad way. So we just, we really like that name because it kind of reflected many of the moods we went through in quarantine. Right. Very good.
0: Well, Mindy, thank you so much for making the time. This has just been so much fun to be on this with you. And I I just know that our listeners are going to enjoy hearing your
1: story and just all your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. It has been such a treat to spend this time with you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc. 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.